Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, I'm Georgie Corrigal, and welcome to today's In Conversation with Podcast. Today, I'm joined by a bit of an industry great. I'm joined by Anya Highmarsh. She is one of the UK's most admired, respected, inspirational, and genuinely nice entrepreneurs. And if you haven't read her recent book, If In Doubt, Wash Your Hair, then really you should. As well as that incredible book, she has been awarded an MBE. She is a Greenpeace ambassador. She's had a huge part to play in fashion and sustainability. In fact, she was hugely ahead of her time when she collaborated with Sainsbury's to launch her I'm Not a Plastic Bag campaign. Gosh, there's so much to say. Anya, thank you so much for joining me today. I can't tell you what an inspiration you are and how lovely it is to have you on our podcast. Will you start by giving us a bit of a synopsis to your career? There are a few people I say this to, a national treasure. Um, oh and an inspiration really to old. so... <laughs> no, you've achieved so much. And you, you know, I know from having read your book how many women you resonate with my god that book there's just I have so much to ask you about that book but before we get on to that which is by my bedside and I'm now on my second read of it true story um can you can you give anyone that doesn't know the whole story can you can you give us a brief synopsis of you know how, how you are where you are today sure I can try um so um <laughs> well I, my name's Anya Hindmarch I'm actually totally British even though I sound slightly foreign um I'm age 53 which is very old um but I started my business when I was 18 um and I I think I knew from about the age of 16 that I wanted to work in fashion and that I wanted to work in in leather goods I was fascinated by the subject when I was given a bag when I was about sort of 15 and I remember how it made me feel and I think the the sort of the power of, of the sort of mood changing aspect of fashion is what's always interested me um, plus actually the fact that handbags and leather goods are about organization and I've always loved the idea of, of organization I think partly because um, when you feel out of control you like to try and control a little bit my life sometimes feels quite out of control so I started designing really immediately I sort of left school I went to uh, Florence in Italy where I knew it was sort of the home of, of leather and I wanted to be immersed in it and I went there really just to uh, in inverted commas do a sort of language course for a month but I knew I just wanted to kind of get into the markets get into the tanneries and and to learn on the ground so I started designing and I brought some samples of my designs back to London um, and sold them um, first of all actually to um, the magazine Harpers and Queen as it was called then and it was actually they had us a monthly offer in the back of the magazine um, and we sold 500 bags. And I thought, well, I'm going to keep going and not go to university, which was another possibility. And I started designing more and selling to stores um, and then opened my first store, which was actually a first floor store because I couldn't afford a ground floor store. And then opened more stores and it just grew and grew really through stores and through wholesale and, you know, obviously different collections and, and different projects along the way. Can I jump in and, and ask you about university? You briefly mentioned that that was an option and you didn't go. You now have five children and... Where do you stand on university and was it a big deal that you didn't go? I, it's a really fascinating topic and I certainly I certainly don't feel like I will push my children to go down that route and rack up a load of debt for the sake of it. Um, obviously, it has its place. I read somewhere your parents were both entrepreneurs. Is that right? Uh, yes. I think, interestingly, I think it so depends on the child. I mean, to be honest, actually, mm. I, I certainly, that was a bit of kind of Billy Big Talk because I didn't really have many offers for university. Honestly, I didn't really <laughs> even, even try it, I think. I mean, I... I um, I was not very academically successful at school. I, I think probably a bit dyslexic, which is quite classic for, for most um, creative people. Um, I certainly, I don't think I have a bad brain, but I um, I didn't thrive. And I was fairly impatient in the classroom, which I think is probably a sort of a trait of entrepreneurs, actually. They want to kind of crack on. Um, yeah. And I was came from a, or come from an entrepreneurial sort of family background. So for me, that was quite a natural route. What did your parents do, Anya? Well, my uh, my mum actually taught um, languages, actually, but with my father, who 
um, was the entrepreneur, although very much supported by my mother, who, um, right. I mean, I was very much the baby under the, in a cot under the desk as my mother was helping my father as he grew his business. So, you know, we very much come from a sort of business background. Um, but I think university can be brilliant um, if the subject is, is useful um, to your career or it just expands your brain. And of course, it gives you sort of credentials in terms of having sort of the rigor and the, the discipline of, of um, delivering and, and of a certain sort of, you know, to a certain level of education. So I'm, I don't want to diss university, but I do think, though, that if you know what you want to do, um, there's an alternative route, which is to kind of get yeah. going and to perhaps work, um, you know, and perhaps you won't be paid that much, but as an intern, as an apprentice, um, but actually that's effectively better, possibly, if you know what you want to do, to learn on the job and not rack up the debt. So at least you might not be paid loads, but you're not actually incurring debt. So if there's a route, it's certainly one to consider if you are going to perhaps a more vocational kind of career. Um, so there's no right, no wrong. Um, I always have a bit of a chip on my shoulder about not having had a degree. And I was really pleased when I got an honorary degree, which is <laughs> <Just> so pathetic, <laughs> but literally it was just like, okay, now I feel better about myself. Um, and, um, but so, so I think it's, you know, it's, it's very much down to, to, to the person and what they want to do. And I think often if you don't quite know what you want to do at a young age, actually university is a good thing to do. It stretches your brain. It gives you qualifications, but use those mm-hmm. holidays and really explore things that you might want to try and yeah gives you some time to try other things and what, what were the qualities I mean did you grow up then wanting to have your own business seeing your father run his business your mother support him did you grow up wanting to do your own thing or was it just you had this bag and you were fascinated by it if it was the former what were the skills that you saw in them that you think filtered through to you that have made you so successful well, I think it was a bit of both, truthfully, in the sense that um, I was fascinated by this bag and wanted to, that's what I knew I wanted to do. I felt very lucky I knew I, that I want, what I wanted to do. But I also think not only was the background at, at home one of sort of business and and, um, uh, and sort of entrepreneurial kind of approach to business, but it was also that time actually, dare I say, in Thatcher's Britain where lots of businesses were starting, not a red cut, tape was cut, there was, you know, car phone warehouse started and you know, I remember Pret-a-Manger started and Next was sort of starting direct to, you know, sort of mail order businesses. There was this real sort of momentum of, of business starting and it being quite an exciting moment. So I think it was um, it's when you always have a tentpole, don't you? Something sort of happens and it sort of sucks up lots of other people thinking I could do that as well. And I think that momentum is really important to making people believe they can have a go at it as well. So a number of things, I think, really as to why I started. And, and it's um, best fun having a business. It's like I always say it's a bit like a game of chess every day. You never quite know what's going to happen. Um, mm-hmm. And it's super exciting. You're opening your inbox and, you know, there could be a big order or there could be something really interesting. Um, not always. <laughs> Sometimes it can just be a total heart sink problem. But, you know, it's a really exciting game. I mean, it's hard work don't let anyone kid you anything different it's it's really it's really really hard work but you've got to love it it's got to feel like a like a really good um game every day and then to be honest it doesn't really feel like work i love that i still get excitement only in my inbox i'm glad i'm not the only person the first product that you launched can you tell us a bit more about that bag and what it looked like and what's the closest to it today uh, well the first bag i ever designed was actually a drawstring duffel bag so when i went out to florence all the italian girls were wearing these sort of drawstring duffel bags which i hadn't seen in the uk um, and I wanted to kind of recreate something with my sort of take on it that was sort of similar to that that style. And so, you know, we have actually a number of bags that have that same, and it is literally a bucket bag with a drawstring. It's not sort of rocket science, but it was quite, that, that was in the- I see you were way ahead of the curve. Well, it's funny to think that actually people didn't, there wasn't the cheap travel that there is, rightly or wrongly now, um, you know, in the sense you couldn't jump on a, an EasyJet flight, you know, for 40 pounds to, to Florence. So it was quite a commitment. So people didn't travel as much and therefore, trends didn't travel as much it was much more sort of siloed so it was quite a different time actually and um and so it that felt quite fresh and 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 cool when it when it sort of came back to London and you talked about getting it into the back of Harper's Bazaar was that a classified ad or was that editorial and how did you make that happen if it was the latter um, it was actually an offer they ran. So it wasn't even, it wasn't either really. It was actually sort of something they did as a, as a business model every month. Um, and I approached them because I knew um, uh, someone who had a stepmother who had a friend. It was, you know, a very tenuous link. Any link will do. Just yeah. I think as us entrepreneurs work any link, right? Um, yeah. And so I sort of managed to get through to her. I managed to take my suitcase full of bags and 
uh, and they liked them. And I remember they called down the fashion editor and they decided to run it, um, which is incredibly trusting. I mean, I was 18 and I you know, didn't know what an invoice was, frankly. So I just sort of found my way through that and remember managing to get my logo on the samples just before they were sort of photographed so that, you know, I had sort of essentially I was starting a brand rather than just a product. Uh, and that was very much that was the, the first break, really. Amazing. And you sold 500. Mm, made 7,000 pounds profit. Not pretty miraculous at the time. Wow. <laughs> I was going to say, what was your first I made it moment? I'm thinking it was that. Well, that, I suppose, was the first sort of time someone took a chance on me. But I remember vividly um, also getting my first, for me at the time, quite substantial wholesale order. And in those days, a lot of the department stores in America had buying houses based in London to sort of support their, their sourcing and their buying of different brands. And there was one that was in Golden Square, which represented, I think, Bird of Goodman and... Henry Bendel and a number of sort of maybe Saks, a number of department stores. And, and I went to show them my product and came up with this really quite substantial in those days order. And I remember ringing my mum from the um, the red post box, the red phone box in the, in Golden Square. Going, I got my first big order. So that was sort of quite exciting as a wholesale order. So um, but there's lots of different different moments. I always think running a business is a bit like you go from nursery to sort of school and then school to big school. And, you know, there's all those different sort of steps um, and there's, there's sort of big moments in each of those different steps. Have you had any mentors or close advisors? I mean, I always look at you. There's a sort of group of women at your sort of age in the industry who I remember growing up thinking were you know, women I looked up to. You, Joe Malone, Amanda Wakeley, I mean, Chrissy Rucker, at a similar sort of age who've all had hugely successful careers. A, are you a cohort? Are you all in touch with each other, supporting each other? And, and did you have mentors along the way um so yes we are all friends it's, it's a lovely collaborative sort of group of entrepreneurs and people in fashion and women in, in business and london's great for that but i mean also internationally so it's really lovely i think people really do support each other and it's incredibly nice i think often they think fashion is a sort of bitchy world i don't find it bitchy at all i find it incredibly supportive but but also in the wider you know chrissy's a great friend and, and that, that wider group of people sharing those sort of war stories of growing businesses and and the highs and the lows is actually really helpful I think sticking together and supporting each other um, even in different sectors you tend to have similar challenges and you know um, things you need to kind of work out so it's very helpful sort of clubbing together um, and in terms of mentors um, aside from that sort of informal group of you know being able to ping out a problem go help and someone going how about talk to that person um, actually I have to say I've been very lucky with my with my my dad actually who's who's still very much a um, a real supporter and someone I can go to as you perhaps can a parent and kind of go at 10 o'clock at night, but there's a real problem, help me. And he'll ring me at eight and going, I think the answer could be this. And someone you can really lean on, perhaps slightly less now, but he is uh, a brilliant business mind um, from a completely different sector. But someone I also think it's, it's lovely when you have a sort of a, a parent or a godparent or someone who perhaps, um, you know, will give above and beyond because they are aligned and wanting to to help you so so I think that um that he's also been and still is on my board which is lovely aged 81 oh, <laughs> I'm so really? pretty, wow. pretty damn lucky yeah and as sharp as sharp as anything <laughs> oh amazing and and on the note of your family working with your family being supportive um your husband is your is he your FD he um he has been FD in fact we now have an FD so his role is um he I mean it's really hard to sort of separate but essentially he does all the bits that I'm not very good at so it's all the the leases and the banks and all those sorts of bits that um that sort of need a grown-up eye but we've worked together for 20 nearly 22 years and um laugh because obviously it's sort of you know we're literally with each other the whole time I think I'd probably drive him mad um but <laughs> but we're good friends and um and very much sort of you know done all those business journeys and meetings and trips and so on um, together along with uh, in a really fantastic team that we work with um, but so yeah we've worked together a long time very closely. And do you think I mean I, I have interviewed a lot of entrepreneurs who end up working with their husbands do you think it enriches I mean a lot of people say my husband and I joke whether we could or could not work together and I sometimes think actually maybe it's the best thing one could do do you think it's really enriched your relationship? Well I think it's fantastic in the sense that you're working with someone you completely trust you're totally aligned in your mission um and i think sometimes perhaps perhaps less so these days but at the time for me being a woman and you know we've got lots of kids and so that sort of time when you're trying to navigate that sort of young 
family stage, which is pretty intense. Um, having someone there who's, you know, who can share it with you and, and um, you can kind of divide and conquer is really helpful. So that's really great. Do you think it, do you think oh, it enriches your relationship? Yeah. I think it actually can be at risk of doing the opposite, actually. I think you mm. have to be quite disciplined to actually make sure, and we don't, by the way, that you kind of separate home from work. I mean, I think sometimes he can kind of go, no, what are you thinking? You know, in front of sort of colleagues, you have to, you have to, or I can do the same to him, you have to actually be as respectful with each other as, as you would a colleague in the work context. Equally, I think it's it's quite fun, I hope, for for the team that, you know, we're it's very much a family business, I suppose, because of the backdrop of the fact that we're both there. But, um, you know, sometimes we always often say that much as we are great friends and, and I think we have a, a good marriage, you know, it's actually quite nice to go on holiday with friends because I kind of, you know, knew what he had for lunch and he knows what I had for lunch every single day last week. And, you know, it's quite nice to kind of sort of mix it up. Takes the conversation somewhere else. Exactly. Lots and lots of benefits, but you have to also be aware that, it, you know, sometimes it can, it can have a, a different impact as well and you have to kind of protect that quite carefully. Yeah, absolutely. You took on outside investors in, when was that, 2006, was it? About at timelines, I think so, more or less, yeah. Well, quite recently, in recent years, bought them out and taken full control again. Can you talk us through that process a little bit? And, I mean, I, I think it's really interesting. I guess the sort of dream, the thing you aim for is potentially to do what you did. Is it? Is it always, it's obviously not always positive. Um, did you lose control? Are you thrilled to have it back? Can you talk us through that process? Yeah. So when I started my business, I was self-financed and always sort of grew it carefully and, and you know, self-financed and, and profitably. And then we took in actually a while back some investors, in fact, who were friends who approached us saying they wanted to get involved. And that was at a time when we were trying to open more stores and it was useful to have that investment and had a very, very happy and, and successful five years uh, with, with those friends and investors on board. And then they needed to show an exit after about five years. So we um, we brought in um, some new investors and um, I actually moved my role at that time from being CEO and creative to being creative. So I so brought in external CEO. And then about sort of five years later, I realized that actually I quite missed really running the business. I think it's it's quite hard actually for a founder. And in fact, there's so much sort of I often chat to fellow founders and saying, I think often rather than bringing in external um, management, which can be successful and can work very well, but often the more natural thing to do is to bring people up from underneath. So the sort of succession planning is is there so that there's a sort of that sense of keeping the same culture and, and so on. Um, so I felt that I really was missing running the business. And so um, in 2019, with a partner, we bought the business back. Um, and that's been really exciting, actually. So um, it's interesting, as you grow businesses, you often, people often think that getting investors is a, um, is a kind of, woohoo, we've got investors, we've made it, but actually investors, to a certain yeah. extent, you know, the dream is not to need investors, because actually, then you, you know, if you're an entrepreneur, you don't really like to have to answer to anyone. Yeah. Entrepreneurs yeah, tend to be a bit sort of broad brush and don't like doing documents and just kind of act on gut <laughs> generally. Um, and when you have investors, you have to kind of be a bit more grown up and sort of, you know, set out a plan and, you know, and then you've got to stick to your plan. And and it can be quite frustrating, actually, sometimes, although I've been incredibly lucky, actually. Um, but um, so I think that, you know, as long as you can do without investors, you should do without investors. And when you have investors, choose really, really carefully, as I have done, to, to pick people that you actually kind of want to go on holiday with, um, because it saves a thousand words if you're aligned, um, because mm. you're all sort of, you know, looking for the same thing. And um, that makes a huge difference. So it's it's a long winding journey and, um, and, and, and there's a lot of luck involved as well. Um, but it's um, when you get it right, it can be really lovely. But proceed with caution. Always, always. It's incredibly, it's like getting married. It's an incredibly important decision. You brought it back. Do you struggle to be motivated ever? I mean, you, you seem to be as ambitious as ever. You've been at it a long time. I mean, how how do you, and it's a question I often ask people, but I, you know, do you worry about hitting the wall ever? Do you, do you worry about waking up and feeling like you can't go another day? Do you have those days? Yeah, how, how are you motivated to keep going? I kind of love it, really. I mean, it's really exciting. There's so much that is fun to explore. I mean, you know, fashion per se is obviously an amazing subject, but it's not what gets me out of bed in the morning, actually. What I love is is making things that, I mean, I kind of love fashion with purpose, actually. So that might be about organizational pieces. It might be about environmental um, aspects of fashion and, and navigating those. I mean, I think fashion, to a certain extent, is sort of an art form that responds to what's going on in the world. Um, and, you know, there's th things happening every day, <laughs> literally, and the world's changing we're all realizing, you know, that we've all got to change. And fashion is responding all the time. So I, I find it incredibly sort of stimulating, really, um, navigating that with sort of my subject and my 
um, sort of platform, if you like, to to respond to those sort of challenges that, that are happening. Um, and so, you know, whether that's, you know, environmental projects that we do, you know, I mean, also these days, it's very much about the, the kind of community of followers that you have, you know, we have probably about a million people that we speak to every week um, through our various channels. And, you know, we like to talk to them about things that we care about. And, and it's a two way conversation. Um, and that might be environmental, it might be, you know, we're just talking about actually zero alcohol drinking and the whole movement about, you know, the fact that my kids drink less than my generation. It's really interesting. And, you know, and actually, how does that so you, it's it's more than just a brand. It's actually about you know a, a group of people that you you interact with, and so it's very very interesting. It's changing so much this industry, this world mm. right now that I, I'm never short of ideas and never short of things that I'm excited about. Actually, and the day I, I guess that I, I I'm I'm not, then maybe it's time to stop at that point. Can we talk a bit more about um, fashion with purpose? I mean, you were so ahead of your game. I mean, I feel like I'm not going to ask you. The plastic bag story, because you've told it so many times. And I mean, we all remember it. And if you don't remember it, then, you know, you read about it. it, it I mean, I God, I remember the cues. It was so forward thinking. And I know you've got a new partnership coming up. How have you been so at the forefront and such a visionary in sustainability? Is it something that you always cared about from a young age? Well, it didn't really feel ahead, to be honest. I think I was just like everyone else at the time. I think when Al Gore's, um, you know, documentary came out and everyone was sort of saying that word environment, environment. And I didn't really know how I could make a difference as an individual or as a business. It was just one of those moments of thinking, actually, I could use fashion fashion as a sort of platform for communication. Because I think the great thing about fashion is it does change people's behavior. It's incredibly viral, you know, that any any industry that can make people wear, you know, short skirts one minute and long skirts the next, and it does really have a big effect on people's behaviours. I think, you know, fashion is is feeling, isn't it? It's it's self-expression, it's it's um, confidence. It's so many things that are sort of wrapped up in fashion. Um, and I find it a really interesting sort of subject. And I mean, the environment is really terrifying situation. I think people still are not grasping how incredibly serious this is because, you know, you only get to see the, the floods and the fires and the heat waves that are happening all around the world all the time. And if that was happening, you know, every month and on your doorstep, you would you would change the way you behave. But just because it's perhaps not happening here in London enough that it interrupts their life, it's very easy to carry on. Um, but, you know, we need to, to I mean, I'm probably scared at the moment. So I think using fashion to to affect change and to um, communicate is is hopefully useful but also it's important and I, and I think interesting so. you can make it sexy can't you via fashion and that's that's an amazing vehicle to use it's a tough subject it's a scary subject and you know I think if you know the facts it's actually it's quite daunting a lot of people just almost want to run away and hide and sort of put their fingers in their ears so it's trying to kind of break it down and, and sort of say listen how about start by doing this and then you know it's recycled materials it's you know it's actually men things you know how do you make things that actually couldn't end up in landfill you know there's all those subjects which I think break it down into a into a, a way that's a bit more palatable and a bit more probably hopefully have a more successful outcome of, of changing people's behavior and it's so cool it is you know it's so cool to see people like you people in the industry get behind sustainability so much and it's you whether it's will i am whether it's edward anvil you know it, it's 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 amazing to use that position well, i think we've got to i think we've got to millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Can we talk about the village? You know, you've closed lots of stores. You're very much focusing on digital. And I know that's that's a result of you regaining control and being as forward thinking as you are and the pandemic, et cetera, et cetera. Yet 
you've launched the village. Can you tell can you tell us about it, the reasoning behind it? Sure. Well, so we had, I think, the sort of peak with about 65 stores across the world. So, you know, Singapore, Malaysia, Hong Kong, LA, New York, you know, all over the world. Jeez. Um, I mean, that is so many stores. It's that's mad. a lot of stores, isn't it? I know, Japan. Yeah. Um, and so I'm really exciting and amazing, but it just is sort of, I, I feel a sort of magnet. Um, back towards sort of local, not global. Yeah. Sometimes we would sit in meetings and I'd be talking to my London team with a, a video, you know, filming the meeting for the team in Japan and a video filming the meeting for the team in the States and, and you know, and Hong Kong and all these different sort of territories. And in some ways, I actually, I think that, well, t- several things. I think cookie cutter stores, the same all over the world, is no longer very exciting. I used to love when I would go to Paris and there's this one little quirky glasses shop that used to make my glasses. And I loved the fact that I could only get them in Paris and suddenly they were available on every street. Yeah. So A, I don't think it feels very modern to have stores everywhere. B, you know, it is without a doubt a digital world. You know, if you can buy it online, you probably will. But I kind of love the idea of going somewhere where you can really experience, you know, that little glasses shop I'm talking about. And so I wanted to go back to where we had our very first store on Pont Street in, um, in just off Sloan Street in Chelsea. Um, and to have this little world, which is almost like a sort of, it's, I mean, it's five or six stores, including a little cafe, like a little collection of, of stores with all the things I care about. And I'm there and I've just been there this morning. You know, I'm fiddling with the window space. I'm talking to the team. It's properly authentically where I am. It's not the store in Singapore that I only visit once a year. And I think that we use it almost like a revolving gallery and concept space and um you know it's so we can if we want to talk about you know we've opened for example in the village this this month the dry drinker or last month january the dry drinker which is a, a non-alcoholic yes. off license which is a random subject but something i think is really well, interesting it. important um and then you know we're about to open this really fun um color therapy nail bar uh, for fashion week in february um and it's just fun projects you know we have we launched and, all the time and, i mean your father christmas grotto i mean hello that was like just total heaven my favorite moment was the little boy next to me who asked father christmas uh for a porsche taycan for christmas which i thought was hilarious <laughs> scary i know i was like well he's got a good t- he's he might be five but he's got good taste um anyway it was absolutely heaven uh, we totally loved it as as we did your cafe and yeah it was wonderful retail you know needs to be experienced touch points things that you can't get online otherwise why would you go there needs to be a yeah. reason to visit and so I, I just had this sort of as I say magnet to go back to local over global to make it really authentic to make it highly creative things that to be honest were very difficult to do all over the world because they're really complicated and they're one-offs and it would be kind of impossible to do that and replicate that in 65 stores across the world so it's really I, I really pour all my my energy and and love and madness into the into that little village and um and I think the lovely thing is we have people coming to visit they might even go to the cafe first because they've seen it on Instagram and then they go to the stores and then they go home and then they start ordering online so you end up with the same global distribution but just in a sort of perhaps a slightly more modern way so it's really exciting but more than anything for me it's sort of it's that creative itch it's sort of my little fairground it's my little sort of gallery space where I can create what I care about and I work with a really highly creative mad band of merry men um, and it's sort of where we can you know scratch that itch and and do those mad things which often lead to product and lead to interesting things and I think creatively often you can't just sort of set out on a we're doing this and box tick and do a business plan you have to sort of it has to be iterative you have to sort of start with one thing and then let it go to another and then be surprised by the outcome and then follow that up and I think that sort of testing the ignite and that iterative creative process is a real privilege as opposed to working in a really kind of big corporate place where you've had to sort of spell it out in advance for six months and do a business case and defend it in 65 committees and yeah. <laughs> by the end of it you've lost any yeah, interest in fully, it at all. You can fully go to town and you, you obviously have this incredible incredible attention to detail which you saw in in the grotto and you see it in the cafe and you see it in your bags and the organization and you get it from reading your book and it obviously yeah allows you to really scratch that itch but you don't have to roll it out across 60 stores which must be quite nice can you talk to me about some of the product you've created along the way I really want to come into your book but I also just in terms of the sort of evolution of your brand and the products that you've created what are you 
most proud of? This, it's really hard to pick out sort of favourite children, but there's been some, you know, some projects that have been really fun along the way. And, um, you know, starting with, for example, a project we did, which was called Be a Bag, where you could actually make a photograph into a bag, which is an incredibly cheesy idea, which we did for charity, um, but got such traction, which we've actually just re-brought it out again now, actually, but made out of completely recycled materials. And it was lovely, actually, and lovely. So that was a fun project. The Obviously, I am a plastic bag and I'm not a plastic bag, which... Um, has been a huge labour of love and, and a huge amount of R&D and, you know, making this incredible cotton drill, beautiful fabric, but actually from recycled bottles, but finding that it behaves so much like cotton drill, it would get dirty. So having to find a way to coat it, but managing to extract the plastic that's between the glass and windscreens of cars that would have gone into landfill to coat one side of the fabric. And then other projects, for example, like Return to Nature, which we launched recently, which is about could you make a bag that could never end up in landfill? So mimicking nature in the sense that, you know, if an apple falls for a tree, from a tree, it, 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 it biodegrades and it turns into compost to benefit the soil to make it more nutritious to support plant life. And so could you make a bag that did that, which we've spent two years doing and launched, which is a sort of biodegradable and compostable bag? really incredibly complicated to do and and you know working with amazing scientists and 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 farms and um, and learning really learning loads actually um so so many projects i mean i think one of my other favorite parts of the business is the area that we call bespoke which is the idea that you it's really more about gifts the idea you come in and you can have anything embossed with either a handwritten message in your own handwriting or a drawing um, and everything comes with your name embossed into it and the box comes with your name on it. So it's just making presents for life. So things that you would hand down to your great grandchildren. Um, and for me, that's a really lovely idea that, you know, mm. it's not about a season. It's about a moment in time. You know, you, if a child handwrites their message to their mom or to their grandmother and seals it into the um, into the leather, you can't go back and ask a child to write like a five-year-old again. It's a moment. Put the letters the wrong way around. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just, it's lovely, isn't it? You, you can't recreate that. So, so yeah. it's just that's a that's a part of the the business that is is really special to me. In fact, I was in the store this morning mm. and laughing with the team and saying, if I died, like my ashes scattered in that store, which I think quite freaked them out actually. But um, that's that's very much at the sort of heart of, of yeah. what we do. And and I think you have got you know well you have you've got such heart, and that's always. I think given you such a point of difference in the industry, hasn't it? You've had those personal touches and you are a mother of so many children and, and that's, yeah, all those little personal touches. They would probably say that I don't have much heart, just FYI, but yes. <laughs> uh, well, I think I have referenced, um, I don't know how many times this weekend I've referenced the fact that Anya says that, you know, they're supposed to hate us or they're never going to want to leave home. So that's what I keep telling myself. And every friend is like, oh my God, my children. I'm like, don't worry. And he says, it's supposed to be like that. Otherwise, they'll, they'll never leave us. So, I'm never really know. quite sure if I made that up to make myself feel better, actually. Well, it's working. I'm sticking with it anyway. <laughs> I mean, your book, why did you write your book? Where did it come from? I mean, it is, it's the best thing I've read in... Well, a long time. Really kind. That's I do have to say. I felt pretty vulnerable writing the book, if I'm if I'm honest. I mean, I have a friend who's who's an agent, and she was badgering me to write a book, and I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to write about, to be honest. And then I suddenly felt that I felt really inspired, actually, by my kids' generation, who are so open about their feelings and so accepting and inclusive. And it just was actually quite breathtaking. In fact, I was talking to someone this morning and saying isn't it brilliant that you now look at buying swimwear and when you look at that bikini you see it on all different sizes and shapes of, of women I think the fact is when you look around in the street there are all different sizes and shapes of women when I mean, we really are changing actually mainly mm. driven by that generation I'm so wowed by them and I I felt it was only fair in a way to write my thoughts on life and it's not it's not a it's not a sort of my business journey or and it's not my it's just me being really honest about actually you know, being a mum, being a stepmom, growing a business, being a woman in business, you know, being a creative, just all the things that I, I've kind of learnt, borrowed, stolen, that have helped me, and just shoving them all into a book, things that I talk about if I meet groups of women and sort of say, I've learnt this, and like, oh my god, that's useful, and then I get something from them, so it's a kind of, a kind of, you know, collated all that sort of stuff, hoping that it's if I hand it Bible. to someone who's 30, that they get five bits from it, and kind of go, oh, that really helped me too, thank you, and then they keep adding to it, so it was just, um, quite vulnerable making because it, it talks a lot about doubt and the title which is if in doubt wash your hair um, is obviously a kind of jokey title because I think every woman knows that you sort of feel better somehow like you can look people in the eye and if you've kind of looked after yourself which is sort of silly but so whilst it's a silly sort of title it does refer to the fact that we do need to look after ourselves and be a bit kinder to ourselves women often 
are very kind to everyone else and not perhaps kind enough to themselves. I know, so, I know, I agree. So I, I'm always, put your life jacket on first. They tell you for a reason. That's why I spend my life saying mm, to girlfriends. Mm. And also I think the word doubt in the title is important because the book is a lot about doubt. It's actually, it's about the fact that everyone has doubt. Everyone from the prime minister to the, you know, every single person that does anything has doubt. And I think no one's very honest about that. And I think that we need to reframe doubt to look at it as actually something that can, it's there to help us you know it sits on our shoulder like a little gremlin um mm. and it's there going don't mess up don't mess up don't, oh, don't say the wrong thing but actually it's protecting us and it's keeping mm. us safe and making us the best version of ourselves and so you need to kind of control the volume a bit so it's not too high but actually doubt is a good thing so i think if in doubt wash your hair it, it talks about doubt so that was the reason for the book it's been pretty scary making i remember talking to my parents they went why are you writing this oh my god all that sort of stuff about yourself and, but i thought actually i owed it to that younger generation who've been I've learned a lot from actually. So I figured I should just kind of tell them um, from experience because that's what I can give back is that, you know, my experience and, and explain um, what I wish I'd know when I was their age that hopefully might be useful. Well, I'm 41. I'm not their age. And I tell you, I'm <laughs> bloody grateful that you wrote it, Anya. And you're really uh, kind. <laughs> Laura and my team, I said, could I borrow that, please? And she said, you can, but. Um, I've listened to it on Audible and I've now ordered that one because I need to highlight it. And she <laughs> said, I think I'm going to highlight the whole book. And and I'm I, this is 100% genuine. It is for anyone listening that hasn't, hasn't. I mean, I lie in bed reading bits out to my husband to the extent he's at hunt. Okay, I, I'm now trying to go to sleep. You're reading bits out about characteristics of an entrepreneur. That's a really sweet thing to say because it is. it's quite frightening doing those things. And I really did sort of, struggle with doing it and it's also it's quite a slog writing a book I will be honest um and so that's really really sweet thank you that kind of that sort of nice payback for the, the weekends and yeah, <laughs> you're um, kind it's that good it's that good I mean it and I can't encourage people to read it more can we just talk a little bit about parenting I mean you've you talk about it a lot um in the book it's it's well known that my god you took on three really young children who who didn't have a mother and um, you've taken them on and they're yours and it's so heartwarming hearing you talk about them and it, it really is. I mean, that's a blended family. I don't think that's talked about enough. I don't think there's enough out there, you know, helping people navigate blending families. You then had two, two more with your husband. What ages do they span just to give, if people don't know? So the youngest is 18 now and we just finished 28 years of school. So can you imagine? And the oldest is now 32. So, um, so there's a sort of bit of a spread, but it's, I think that the thing I'm honestly proudest of is the fact that it's a family, you know, albeit five from, from two um, two different mums. You can definitely tell the sort of um, the older three are all sort of massive academics. Which I mean, my 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 two are a bit more sort of dyslexic and creative. <laughs> it's quite it's quite shaming sometimes. Even though obviously they're quite brilliant. In case I listen to this, um, my son is dyslexic, and I think it's going to be I think it's going to be their superpower. We are Sherlock's is big on the neurodiversity bandwagon, and I'm um, I, I actually think it's going to be fascinating to see how how we embrace neurodiversity and so anyway i'm sure well, that'll do brilliantly very more actually i actually think there's, there's a book in that actually and i think yeah uh, actually where my, my there you go there's your next book yes, yes. <laughs> as a badge of honor i think I'm, i think i've done the book but no it's listen i mean it's the biggest honor honestly uh, inheriting children a huge responsibility quite terrifying at times and not always easy for them nor for me um, but um, I think I, they have they are brilliant. I mean, I'm incredibly lucky to have inherited those three children. And um, and I think modern blended families, it's becoming so normal now. That, and I think you're right. There's not enough. Certainly when I took on my three, you know, they're age one, three and four. So very little. And I was 25. I really didn't know what I was doing. But, you know, you do it through through, you know, through love and through honesty and sort of getting advice but there wasn't that much to read or there wasn't that much advice out there and, um, and um, I think the lovely thing is it can be really successful um, and it, it takes total honesty brutal honesty actually uh, with children and acceptance and all the sort of things like you know obvious things but things are very easy to overlook that you know if ever you were to say anything negative about you know say I'm mean, not that I ever would obviously but that their mother or perhaps in a divorce situation it's quite easy to imagine that mm. sort of a stepmother might say something negative about the, the, their mother you're actually saying something mm, negative saying? about half of that child it's so easy mm. to overlook some of those things which are just so important so it's it's just it's you know it's common sense but it's respect and it's kindness and it's navigating your way through honestly and of course you will mess it up often but it's also I think important and totally doable to sort of say I got that wrong 
I'm really sorry. You know what? I love you to bits and I totally messed that up. And, and, you know, just it's about, you know, being open and honest. So I sort of tried to, to, to write my experience down as best I could, but it, it really is possible to have a, I mean, I feel so lucky. I'm genuinely lucky to have this group of, of five kids and I learned so much. I mean, I am frankly parented by my kids quite a lot of the time. <laughs> I mean, it's quite interesting, actually. I, I, I mean, honestly, I learn from them every day. So it's frankly a privilege. Have you got them to 18 to 35 with, in one piece? I mean... Well, I think they did that themselves. And, and trust me, some, some great schools and, and a whole band of, of people who've helped me. That's very much been a, a group effort. And a lot of help from all three sets of grandparents and uncles and aunts I mean it's been we've been so damn lucky because it was it was you know it was a, a very um tragic situation and and um so it's been a complete group effort but um they are right now as of this minute um all in one piece thank god and um and you know listen it's it's a funny old world isn't it trying to navigate five kids as they grow in, in any situation but but it's it's a lot of fun and for people listening that are running their own business and have young children I mean you reference it in your book and I mean minor four and nine and 11. So that, that brings different challenges. But yeah, those early years where when there's there's just no independence at all, what advice would you give to, to people? Because there, I think it's also a time when a lot of women decide not to go back to work for various reasons and start their own thing. What advice would you give to entrepreneurs in those early days of their journey but also juggling who can't do anything for themselves and are totally dependent on you my my advice is you just got to get through it I mean there's no there's no right there's no wrong and there's no one route and everyone finds their you know their sort of patchwork of childcare or how you divide the chores and the sort of life admin and the which seems to naturally stick to women um but how you divide that with your husband I think there's I've noticed I mean I think my age group, so I'm sort of 53, as I said, that that there's there's this transition generation that sort of happened where, you know, I have a memory of my father working very hard and my mother being more of the homemaker. She did work a bit, actually, but more of the homemaker. And therefore, I have this guilt that I should be as good as my mother. But of course, I can't be working as hard as my father and be as brilliant a homemaker as my mother was mm. and is um and that I used to beat myself up quite a lot you know if I didn't have beautiful ribbons and every present and didn't do a treasure hunt but you know all the sort of things that she would have done that was so amazing but the fact is you know I'm working my socks off and, and traveling and so I've had to readjust and make new traditions and uh, new ways of doing things and my husband has equally you know had to adjust because he wasn't you know his memories his father sort of coming home and you know supper being ready and he wouldn't have to sort of do any of the children's bath time and and you know that's just not a reality when we both worked really hard until seven o'clock so so we've all had to sort of shift I think I can see in my kids that they are already a bit more 50 50 with their partners and it's not assumed actually that you know just because you know if the, if the, the the man and the woman are working as hard that the woman should pick up all the the you know getting the ballet kit ready for the class the next morning you know why should they write the thank you letter not the man so there's mm. there's a lot a lot of stuff and I've written about this quite a lot in the book and so I think once that changes then actually it won't go back. So I think probably, the, you know, my generation, certainly perhaps yours a bit, are still in, in that adjustment phase. I think it's been quite yes. hard. But yes, I'm not sure my husband has written a thank you letter since we got <laughs> married, but um, I do I do agree with you. And actually I think the pandemic's helped, hasn't it? And and I think it will be fascinating to see what it's like. I think I look at my children and think that I'm fascinated to see what the division of labor will it like yeah well it's funny isn't it? i mean these things have long tails i think but i mean if you take the thank you letter which is, is it's funny because it just makes me laugh at how ridiculous i am i feel i should write the thank you letter even though we both went to the dinner the whatever it was oh yeah, oh, yeah. why should i i know because you, you you might be judged that they wrote it and you're a bit you're yeah i yeah, know but, later, but, but why is the husband not judged like that so it's hilarious that these these are things that are set like in stone and when you look at them afresh you're like it's crazy why and if I made my husband write the thank you letter yesterday, I was working. I'm like, you can do the thank you letter. What? Yeah, we both went. And, and, and probably, probably they went. Oh, she's so lucky. Her husband wrote the thank you letter. No one thinks. <laughs> no one thinks you're they're lucky if if you write it. Um, I know it's funny, but it, yeah, it, it definitely it's definitely changing, which is fascinating and and great. Can we talk a bit more about advice that you'd give to other women wanting to do their own thing? You say it's a wonderful journey, and you know you wouldn't change it, but for people who are thinking of, of starting their own thing, what, what would you say? How would you advise them to get going? Um, well, I would 
so just get going to be honest I think you can overthink it I've, I've sat with lots of people and, and many children who sort of you know honed and honed and honed their business plans and the truth is the moment you start a business a business plan goes out the window um, because you have to respond to to you know the market essentially and the endless bottles that are being thrown at you and lobbed at you as you're trying to kind of navigate the direction in which you're trying to reach and go to so I think um just get going, but be very agile and be very sort of dexterous and be prepared to change. You know, it's it's great fun starting a business. It really is great fun. I always think there's, sort of, there's lots of phases. The first phase is it's super exciting and it's all new and novel. And you've got your new website, your new business cards, and it's all kind of exciting. And then you hit sort of a year in and actually it gets quite tough. Um, and it might be it might be three years, it might be three months, who knows, but, you know, suddenly you've sort of done it a lot. It's not sort of quite going as fast as you want or, um, you know, it, it's hard to get things made because, you know, you might be hitting minimums or, you know, you're the new person, you won't get the priority in the production or it may be that people aren't paying you or, you know, all these sort of it's what I call the triangle of pain when it's hard to get the orders and hard to get paid and hard to, to get things made as well. And you're just in that sort of zone of trying to kind of break through. Um, and at that point, actually, my father gave me some great advice. He said, just don't give up. And I kind of thought about that for a second. I thought, well, that's obvious. He said, no, but if you think about it, if you don't give up, then you won't fail. <laughs> it was such, such wonderfully <laughs> so obvious simple. advice. Yeah, and it's true. Sometimes just actually sticking at it is, is kind of the answer. So I think mm. that's the thing. You have to be quite gritty at that point. And so many businesses are, are lost at that point. Whenever you hit your triangle of pain and whatever version of triangle it is, it's about sort of leaning in. Lots of businesses give up then. And actually, it's a great shame because, you know, it's so great for the economy to have lots of businesses and lots of, you know, then therefore employers. And, and I, I do believe business is the engine of the economy in many ways. And um, so if, if, if you can find a way to navigate that, and that's when it's really good to reach out to people who've got through that stage, to listen to every podcast or every talk, every friend that's been through it and to sit with them because it's amazing how you feel re-inspired if you if you listen to yes. someone else talking about how they hit that brick wall and how they got through it round it or over it you know you've just got to find a way to keep going uh, and if you do it's likely that actually you're gone and you're jumped from that nursery to school school to to big school big school to university you just there are definite steps and I often talk about it's like you're swimming in a pool and you're clinging to get on the outside and you're clinging to the edge and you finally get on the edge and you sit on the edge but you spend a long time clinging all the ridiculous analogies with the fact goes in my head so yeah, I think yeah, yeah, yeah. really exciting and listen it's tough because if it, if it wasn't tough everyone would do it um, but I think if you if you have an idea and you believe in it and you can carry people with you and you can navigate the bottles and you can keep going and not give up at, the, at those tough points you'll get there you know it's as simple as that really <laughs> it doesn't sound very simple what, does what? it but it's fun <laughs> no I mean keep going and yeah keep going keep going there you go um what what's been the most unexpected success for you what flew that you didn't think would or you were worried about it's a hard question lots of things you never quite know what's going to fly and what's not going to fly um but I mean, you know, the response to I'm not a plastic bag, which I actually I, yeah. I was excited about. But I, I remember, you know, to do a collaboration with the supermarket was kind of, you know, unlikely when, you know, brand at our level. And I remember thinking if it goes wrong, that's really kind of embarrassing. And I remember having people mm. lined up to go and sort of, you know, take the stock away and, you know, save the embarrassment, not knowing what would happen. And, and you know, the result was 80,000 people queued in one day to buy the bag. It was an absolute ridiculous experience so you never quite know in truth and um, and that's what makes it fun um, but when you get something that works you then have to lean into that and, and to go with that and not just stick to your plan and that's what's quite important can you just of, of your new designs that are out now what are your favorites well I love I love sort of messing with the everyday in a in a kind of an extraordinary way so that might be playing with lovely brands it might be you know after eight but re-embroidering in the most beautiful sort of way as an evening bag that makes it feel like a little piece of art and those yeah. things you want to keep I think um you know we have this lovely um range of of hand woven leather bags which are called the Neeson range which oh they are so that blue yeah. you've got it's like a cornflower <laughs> blue yeah. it's amazing yeah. yeah it's like a leather basket in a way so it just behaves really lightweight really sort of soft and just incredibly just a beautiful thing actually in terms of craftsmanship we we love we have a whole range called the labeled range which is sort of almost every part of your life so there might be one for makeup which says makeup and you open it says brushes it's almost like a prompt there might be one for cables and chargers might be one for your nail varnishes it's everything organized everything has a place and everything in its place and that just makes me feel sort of better about life somehow it might just be a beautiful pencil case and we're all changing the way we're moving right now you know you need 
we actually brought out a bag called the, the working from home bag, which is that sort of bag that is essentially your desk. Um, so it has a padded thing for your laptop and it has a place for your inbox that says inbox and place for your outbox so that you know have a it's almost as you're moving around the house or moving between the office and home or on the train it just kind of keeps you feeling in control is your house very tidy Anya it's quite tidy although it's got a lot of children at the moment so they like to mess with that which is the constant sort of struggle but I, I am a bit of a I'm I like to be organized actually yeah, I think me too. Like, I, I, I love I, the I, idea of a pouch and in the house pouch for those things that's I think that's well it's just it just makes life easier honestly and I think when you're busy if things that I think it's quite hard to be creative actually if you're disorganized you know you end up losing the drawing that matters and you end up you know I'm I'm a I I used to be embarrassed about being organized it felt nerdy and now I'm actually quite proud of it I think it's it's important and so I do like I'm actually fascinated by by organization as a subject Uh, I think they should teach it in school you know how to how to best practice inbox management you know what's the, oh. what's, the, what's the most effective to-do list you know actually how you how you process things and have output is fascinating uh, in fact we, we've run courses on this before we're, we're going to do it again um and I find it super kind of fascinating I always remember my sister-in-law saying you know don't just tidy your box shut it down and get on with the thing you made a similar point and I thought yes well it's you know there's definitely the best ways of of being productive um and so I found that actually quite interesting um but so yes things like that and so we designed this little bag called the working from home pouch which is like a sort of pencil case but it's essentially like the top drawer of your desk so it has the highlighters it has the sort of the stapler it has the sort of cables and chargers that you need and it's just like if you grab that you know what you've got if you're suddenly oh. your home desk for your office desk you know it's just so I, I'm a bit nerdy on things like that but just also no, love handbags that just make you feel a million dollars and make you slightly raise your game look people in the eye and and you feel the best version of yourself I don't apologize for that either sometimes that's quite important quite um Annie I've got three final quite quick questions to ask you first of all what is in your handbag so let's forget the keys and the phone and the wallet i have to say i've owned several of your your patent wallets the little bows and the tassel i mean they have stood me in good stead they they are wonderful do you still sell those we do and i am obsessed by this idea of a system so of loose pockets so like pockets in your bag but they're not attached so if you change your bag you can grab it so one might be for your first aid your neurofilm whatever you might need one might be for um you know your pencils and and bits for your sort of work one might be for um makeup you know one might be for masks currently um and sort of pp and hand sanitizer so i just find that so it's almost like russian dolls so you have your bag but if you're going out to lunch you can just take the one that's relevant or you've got it all inside much easier to move bags yeah excellent i like that a lot what's it what else is in yours that you, you no one might know god um there's nothing that exciting i mean I, i'm a bit of a sucker for a beautiful um sort of leather folio you know with all my papers i like having my my papers all organized so I can have one master one and inside there's all the kind of current projects that I, I need to have with me um, that, that are printed out because sometimes paper and pencils. I have a really lovely banana pencil case, which makes me really happy. <laughs> Love it. Um, I also have to ask you, how often do you wash your hair? Pretty much every other day, sometimes every day, but Please. every other day, just because it just makes me feel kind of like I'm ready for the world. Does the job. And finally, what what is next? What's the plan for Annie Highmarsh? What can you what can you tell us? What's to come? Well, there's lots, lots, lots to come. I'm afraid Sadi, I'd have to kill you if I told you, and I don't want to believe because you're yeah. really nice. Um, but there's lots of lots of projects, lots of plans, and um, similar themes, um, but just following our gut really on on what we um, we like doing, and um, and and it's exciting. I'm kind of really excited actually. There's there's lots of projects this year, um, and I'm loving. For me, the village is really fun because I'm really getting to meet um, customers and people who kind of care about the same things. And actually, it's quite powerful when you get. Um, when you get people together like that um, you can you know you can do good stuff so so lots of plans but you'll have to watch this space I'm afraid well on the subject of being nice Anya you really are and uh, whoever said that there aren't nice people in the fashion world um, needs to read your book and uh, and um, think again um, thank you so much thank you for that <laughs> it book. was a really great pleasure it's been really and, fun chatting um, to you anyway Anya thank you so much get down to the really village Get your hands on that book. Get some pouches in your life. Your new everything pouches are wonderful. I've loved chatting to you. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. That's it for today. If you enjoyed that, then do please rate, review, subscribe. Tell your friends to listen to, and we will be back soon. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Hold up. What was that? 
boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 